Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you would open them with me to the Gospel of John, we're going to be in the 12th chapter of, of the Gospel of John, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and then jump over to read verse 12. Gospel of John, starting in chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. It was a dinner honoring Jesus. Jump to verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, and this is the feast of the Passover, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and, he, and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. They, they continued to speak of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this, this moment in time that we just read about is recorded by all four gospel writers. Uh, it is what we know as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's known as, as Palm Sunday, and we today join with Christ followers all around the world celebrating that. It is, it's the launch of what is often called Holy Week or the Week of Passion of our Lord. And it is Jesus entering into Jerusalem at a time, historians tell us, where it would have been overflowing with people. Uh, some historians estimate that the population of, is of Jerusalem may have quadrupled, uh, may have pushed over into the number like two million even. Uh, it was just people, people everywhere. And it was on this day that Jesus chose to make himself known in a unique and special way. Um, now, Jerusalem, again, would have been swarming, as I said, people everywhere. And there was this unique segment of the crowd who had, because of the testimony of those who had seen Lazarus raised, they were, they were excited when they heard Jesus had left Bethany and was making his way in, into Jerusalem. And so Jesus sets the stage by riding into a, a city that's filled with people cheering for him and shouting for him and waving palm branches. It's kind of like the, they rolled out the red carpet, if you would, for Jesus's entry. And here, here's a couple of things. I'm convinced personally that Jesus planned out many of these details. Um, I, I don't have time to go into it today. If you want to hear a message on that, last Palm Sunday I talked about it, but that Jesus specifically laid out some details so he would fulfill the, the scriptures, uh, some of what we just read a, a, a moment ago. Now, here's the deal. After years 
uh, of his public ministry of absolutely avoiding being put in a position of being thought of as the Messiah King, of being declared the Messiah King after years of pushing that away. Some of you will remember uh, your reading of the gospel of Jesus' life, that there would be times he would heal somebody. And what would he tell them? Don't tell nobody. This is, this is, right now, the kingdom is coming, but I, I don't want you to hurt. Jerusalem will be the city of his death. And he's entering Jerusalem uh, on a donkey. And he's doing that in keeping with the prophecy of the scripture. Now, we've read verse 15 a minute ago from John 12. It said, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey. He's called. That's uh, really pretty much an exact quote from Zechariah 9.9. That was given by the prophet Zechariah a little over 500 years before this event occurred. He was given that vision from God and he proclaimed, this is how Messiah King will show up. He will come riding on, on a colt of, of, of a donkey. And I believe that Jesus does this at this unique time for a specific reason, and that is to make everybody choose. Choose sides. Pick a team. That's what I believe Jesus is doing in that moment. He's forcing people to make a critical decision about him. But now, before you think, okay, well, that was, that's the first time Jesus has ever done that. He's ever really kind of pushed this. I, I want to I take, really, this morning to point out that this has been Jesus' message and ministry, the, the whole part of his public ministry. This focus on the, the kingdom of God and him being its king. And I want you to see, I pray today that you see this mattered, not not just a little bit to Jesus. It, this is a significant part of what Jesus wants, needs for all of humanity to know. So the way I kind of want to start stepping into that is I want to give you a pre-quiz. We'll do a post-quiz, but I want to see if you, if you get the answer right beforehand. Uh, if not, I'm sure you will uh, in the post-quiz. So here's, here's the, the, the pre-quiz, one question, okay? Here's the question. What was Jesus' gospel message? In just a short phrase, what was Jesus' God? What, what words did Jesus use to, uh, to articulate what he believed the gospel is? What, what, what did Jesus choose? In fact, just take a moment, maybe turn to somebody next to you and say, here's what the answer is. Just take a moment. And no arguing. Okay, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is baptized, and he's driven out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, he's tempted, and he comes out of that experience, beginning his public ministry, and Mark records it in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. It starts out by telling us that after John was arrested, this is John the Baptist, got arrested, this is before he was beheaded, but it says this, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. He's going to proclaim the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So right here, whose gospel does Mark say this is? It's the gospel of God. And the word gospel, many of you know this, simply means good news. Some of your translations, instead of using the word gospel, it actually translates that word good news. Some of your Bibles actually, actually do it. Uh, you know, that way. So what did Jesus articulate? What, did, what words did he use to say that here's the good news, here's the gospel? 
Well, this is what Jesus said. He says, the time has come. The time is here. The time is now. There's never been another time like this. This is a time like no other, and here's why. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, it didn't say that the kingdom of God has now been invented. Because the kingdom of God has always existed. It just says that it's, it's at hand now. It's near. It's close. It's available. Uh, it's close enough so that you can step into the kingdom of God. And the way that Jesus says we go about doing that is we have to repent and believe this good news. Repent means basically to change the way you've always thought about something. To change your, your thinking. Believe here is a word that really is better translated trust because so often in our culture, we, we believe facts that make no difference in our lives. You know, we, we, we believe all, all kinds of facts, but it doesn't transform us. This is the kind of belief that is transformative because you actually trust. You invest your life. It, it, it impacts your mental map. It changes the way you think about things. And I want you to see that this was not a one-and-done message for Jesus. It was central to everything he taught. So when you get over to Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 8 verse 1 starts out this way. It says, soon afterward, he, talking about Jesus, he went through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing, this time it's talking about he proclaims and brings it, the good news of the kingdom of God and the 12 were with him. So we, we see here again in Luke 8, Jesus is, is basically extending the same message. What's a little bit different is he's not just proclaiming it, he's bringing it. In other words, he's demonstrating it with, with powerful activity, healing and casting out demons. And, and Jesus is doing this with 12. By this time, he has gathered 12 disciples. And they, these people are, are with him. They, they, go, they go everywhere. He's not, Jesus isn't just doing this alone anymore as he was in Mark 1. These are, are men that had devoted themselves to follow Jesus so that they could be like Jesus. And Jesus has devoted himself to pour his life into them. So they go everywhere he goes. They try to do the things he does. They, they, they learn the things he, he teaches. There, there's a, 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 I can't think of the name of the, the author, but he's written a series of, uh, done a series of videos, and one of them is called Dust of the Rabbi, and it's basically that in this setting that the, um, Jeff Van Vonderen, I think it was his name, Vanderland, not Van Vonderen, Vanderland, thank you, Ray Vanderland. And he, what he would do is he understood that a rabbi would, would teach and uh, his, his young Padawans, his disciples, if you would, would try to learn everything and repeat everything and do everything that their rabbi would do. And they, they would walk so closely to the rabbi that he would kick up dust, it would get on them. They'd get covered in the dust of the rabbi. That's what these guys were doing. They were trying to learn how Jesus lived. They were watching him, his every move. And uh, the, the gospels demonstrate that by some of the questions that they would, would ask Jesus. So we see in, in this account, now they're going with Jesus into the cities and villages, watching him both bring the gospel and proclaim the gospel. Then you, you turn over one chapter to Luke chapter 9. And we see that, that ministry continuing, but a little different. It says in Luke chapter 9, And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to do what? Proclaim the kingdom of God and to, and to heal. So to both demonstrate, to bring the kingdom and to proclaim the kingdom, which is another way just to, 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 to do the kingdom of God thing displaying its availability, showing that. One more chapter over, 
Luke chapter 10. We see Jesus doing this again, but multiplying ministry. It says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. This is in a presented himself alive to them after his suffering and by many proofs appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. Over and over and over, these multiple appearances after his resurrection, his primary concern is what his primary concern was at the beginning of his ministry and all throughout his ministry, it's the kingdom of God. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, after the 40 days, ascends to heaven. Later, he sends the Holy Spirit to come on the day of Pentecost, the day the church is birthed. And the book of Acts covers that, and it covers the the, the booming growth, tremendous growth of the church in, in the world. And then we get to the end of the book of Acts, the last chapter and the last two verses, and we read this. And it's speaking, talking about Paul. It says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him. And look what Paul's proclaiming. The kingdom of God. And he's teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. But basically, there was no way for Paul to teach about Jesus Christ without teaching about the kingdom of God. Now, If you haven't by now picked up on what Jesus' good news was, I will write it down for you, okay? But here's what I want. I want to give you your post quiz. What did Jesus, using his own words, say the gospel, the good news is? The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is available. It, 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 It has come near This was so very utterly important to Jesus, and I think it is critically important that we grab hold of this, and I think Palm Sunday is a wonderful day to do it. And here's why I think in our day it is so urgent for us to be mindful of this. And it is because in too many churches, far too often these days, the gospel of Jesus gets watered down into something that it is not. It gets, it's get, it gets kind of reinvented, and it really has nothing to do with the kingdom of God, entering the kingdom of God, living in the kingdom of God, experiencing the power of the kingdom of God in the here and now. See, the good news of Jesus is that he is the king, he has a kingdom, and he's inviting us to come in. But so many times today in our world, in far too many places in in Christendom even, the message of the gospel is mostly kind of like this. Let me tell you this very short list of a few things that you need to do so that you can go to heaven. So that right now you can get your ticket stamped and you can get on, when the train leaves, you got, you got a seat, okay? That seems to be a, a prevailing thought of what the gospel is, so often, nobody mentions you've got to make Jesus king. So often, there's nothing about you actually have to trust Jesus. Not just trust that he can get you into heaven, but actually trust Jesus. There's no, no conversation about, are you choosing to devote yourself to him? Do, do, do you love him? Or is it just some bullet points that you kind of cognitively believe, not actually trust See, the problem with that gospel is nowhere in here does Jesus teach that. 
that is not the extent of his gospel. His, his gospel is so much more massive. His gospel is about the kingdom of God. And we, we need to, I think, be more and more captured by that. See, Jesus' gospel was, it, it's available for everybody. Every, every tongue and tribe and nation. The, 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 the Jews thought it was kind of for them. They had forgotten that that was God's original vision for his gospel. And they, they had kind of held it to themselves. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, no, the kingdom of God is available to anyone. And it was so radically incredible and so radically available that the, the people who thought, why surely there's, it's not available to us, found their way in. Prostitutes and tax collectors, people that were marginalized by, by all of, of society, and then pagans and Gentiles were finding their way into the kingdom of God through the ministry of Jesus. And this is his singular message. The good news is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it is available, and I am its king. Now, does that kingdom include the promise, if you enter into it, of, of heaven? Yes, it actually does. And is, it, is heaven still a free gift? It, yes, it actually is. It, only through the grace of Jesus and the suffering and sacrifice that he paid on the cross to pay for our sins, it was the only way. We couldn't earn it. We couldn't you know, pound our way into the kingdom of God and uh, earn something like that. It was a gift. And certainly, as part of the kingdom of God, there is this offer of eternal life where, where, where death has no power any longer because life in the kingdom of God is eternal because that's the only way to exist in the very presence of God is having this eternal life for all being, being with Jesus. And Jesus says that the eternal kind of life that is being offered in the kingdom is a glorious life, it's beautiful, and you can begin right now. Some of you that have read, maybe even studied, the greatest sermon ever given in, uh, by Jesus. It was given by Jesus. It's recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it is a, an outline, if you would, of what life in the kingdom lived in the, in the present could look like. And he speaks of a capacity to, to overcome things like anxiety and worry, to, to overcome constant fears and frustrations, to, to overcome greed and, and, and lust, to overcome isolation and, and, and purposelessness. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 of that, that sermon, the way that you do that is you have to seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, a right relationship with him. So Jesus keeps talking about this kingdom and, and Palm Sunday Jesus is declaring he's the king in that kingdom. He's the king of a kingdom where things like mercy and grace reign freely and, 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 and rule freely where, where hope, hope is the, the economy, if you would, of, of the kingdom of God where life never ends. Where, you know, it just, um, and there's this beauty of the kingdom of God, but the thing that keeps us from entering in and experiencing in its fullness is the reality of my kingdom. I have a kingdom. You, you have a kingdom. 
And this goes all the way back to the very beginning. If you, if you want to turn there in Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, talks about God creating man uh, in his own image. He created them male and female. He made them in his image that way to, to express who he was, male and female. And it said God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have what? Dominion. Dominion is, is, is a king word. That's king language. It's kingdom language, if you would. Now, I know if you live in South Carolina right now, there's this Dominion Energy Group, and we're not really happy with them. This is, has nothing to do with them, okay? Completely different Dominion, okay? So this, this is a, 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 another kind of Dominion. And, and, and here, here's the first point in my message that I want you to grab hold of. Everyone who was created in the image of God has a kingdom, Everybody who's ever been created in the image of God, you have a kingdom. And, and kingdom here is, is a real important word. It, it's important that you understand. It's, it's actually a very deep part of what it means to be created in the image of God, to be human, is that you recognize you have a kingdom. It is part of God's plan. God planned to give you a little, a little kingdom so you can rule and reign. I have a nine-month-old granddaughter and have enjoyed again the joy of watching her discover her kingdom. When she was itty-bitty tiny, there came this moment in time when she would do this. She would watch her hand. And you know what she discovered? That she had the capacity to control molecules and muscles and bones and ligaments. And by the whim of her will, she could command them to do this. And then she learned that she had feet. And she could shake them and kick them. You know, sometimes you, she could kick. She, she's learning her kingdom. She has this kingdom. Her body is a part of that kingdom. In fact, in order for you to interact in your kingdom, you gotta have a body. So God gave you one that's part of your, your kingdom dominion. And then as, as kids age, we know that they develop more kingdom language. What are some of the favorite words of a two-year-old? Mine. You let somebody take something that they perceive as theirs, they're going to use kingdom language really quick. What's another word that they like to use when you tell them to do something? No. See, you understand kingdom language. This is kingdom language. If, if you've ever been a part of a family with multiple kids, let's say two, and they're seated in the back seat, what do they do? They draw an imaginary kingdom line, don't they? They just draw a line. And what happens if somebody transgresses their kingly boundary? Kingdoms collide, you know, and people, and, and, and there's fighting that's going on. And if that fighting escalates into a full-blown war, what happens? Well, dad in the front seat, who's convinced the car is his what? His kingdom. He does something about it, you know. See, we all have, have our kingdoms. We all think in kingdom terms. We all, you know, want our kingdoms to come. But because of sin, every kingdom on this planet has been corrupted. One of the things that Dallas Willard says about our kingdom is that your kingdom is the range of your effective will. 
Your kingdom, my kingdom, is, that's the range of our effective will. That, basically what he's saying is so that what you want happens. It's a place where what you say goes. Now for some people, all that is is to themselves. Your kingdom is, may, may be very small. Some of you may own a business and run a business and have employees, and so your kingdom may be a little, a little larger. But here's the truth about all of our kingdoms. All of our kingdoms have been negatively impacted by sin. I want, I want to take you to an event in, in Jesus' life that kind of points to this. This is, again, right before he begins proclaiming the good news that Mark 1 told us about. Just before that, there's the event of Jesus being driven into the desert, the wilderness, to be tempted by Satan. Look at this in Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. It says, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. So here's what's happening. The devil is taking Jesus to a place, and he's, he's casting a vision, showing him all the kingdoms of the world at one point in time. So this is every kingdom that will ever exist on this planet. That includes your little kingdom. Or if you've got a big kingdom, you're a big kingdom. It includes the kingdom of Rome and uh, you know, every nation, power that's ever risen. All of them in one moment, Satan shows them to Jesus and he says this. He says, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me, Satan says. And I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. What Satan is saying is all the kingdoms of the world have been delivered to him. How? When did that delivery take place? Well, here's how. I have a kingdom. And I sin. And the moment I sinned, I gave the authority of my kingdom to Satan. I handed it to him. And when you sinned, you handed the authority of your kingdom to Satan. And all of our kingdoms got corrupted. This is the second point that I want you to grab hold of. All kingdoms of this world have been corrupted by sin. Your individual kingdom and then our corporate kingdoms have, have been corrupted. And there's this system of corrupted kingdoms that are, exist in our world, and that's why our economic systems fail us and our political systems fail us and our cultural systems fail us because all of those are these collective kingdoms that have been corrupted by our sin. And when we stir all these together in, in, in this world, it, it's a big old mess. Let, let, me, let me just ask you for just a second. When you think about the kingdoms of this world, and I'm just going to narrow it down to some short bandwidth, just the last 365 days, how are the kingdoms of the world functioning these days? Are they wonderful and beautiful and extravagant in a place everybody thrives and flourishes? They are not. They are not. They're broken. They're, they're a mess. People bickering and fighting over a little bit of cloth over your face. People going at each other. Political divisions. Race is because his lust that has fed this desire has now found its way into his religious thinking. And he thinks what I need to do is I need to kill people. There's another great statement that Dallas Willard makes that I want to share with you. He says this, spirituality wrongly understood or wrongly pursued is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. I'll read it again. Spirituality wrongly understood or wrongly pursued is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. Friends, things are not going well in the kingdoms of this world. They're just not going well in the kingdoms of this world. 
And when we're looking at this brokenness and then we see the plan that Jesus has and then we see the plan that, that, that man has, no wonder Jesus says, let me give you an invitation into my kingdom. Let, let me give you an invitation where I, I, I want you to have life. And unfortunately, no, tragically, in so many places, the church has transformed Jesus' message and watered it down so much so that people cannot get into the kingdom of God. People don't see the pathway to the kingdom of God. What's the condition of the kingdom of God these days? What's it like? Well, Paul wrote to the church at Rome and he said, here's what the kingdom of God looks like. Romans chapter 14, he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. In other words, it's not just about those things that we want to get into and celebrate, but it's a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, under the leading of the Holy Spirit that you can experience these things. He writes to the church in Galatia. In Galatia chapter five, we, we read this. He says, he says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life, he had just given a list of, of, of just a list of horrible ways that we see life being lived, and that's what we just talked about from the kingdoms of this world. But then he goes on to say, they'll not inherit Anybody who does that, not inherit the kingdom of God. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, when, when we step into the kingdom, it'll produce fruit. A kind of life where love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, where those are the kind of kingdom economy. But instead of pursuing life in the kingdom of God, we try to bullet point it down to just a couple of things that if, you, if, you'll, just, if you'll just say these words... Then you get your, your ticket stamped. And the good news about the kingdom and about living in the kingdom of God that's available now kind of gets dismissed. And it wrecks the life that Jesus came to bring. It almost creates this pseudo kind of faith. And we have words for it, this kind of faith. Uh, and it's fascinating to me that they, they begin with C. Three, three descriptions of Christianity that kind of are built around this pseudo kind of faith. Uh, sometimes we call them carnal Christians. Sometimes we call them consumer Christians. Sometimes we call them, call it cultural Christianity. These, these, these C words that, you know, are, are, have connected to this pseudo, they're, they're not life in the kingdom. And everybody who is aware of those phrases get that, that it's, these aren't people who are fully invested in the kingdom of God. And they may not, may not, I'm not saying they don't, I'm just saying they may not know the king. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus makes a statement about these CC kinds of people. In Luke 14, he says this, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Unless you're stepping into that life of actually following Jesus, even into his suffering. You know, it's actually something Jesus warned us about in, in, in Luke chapter 13. In Luke chapter 13, he says, I, I tell you, you do not know where you come from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. There's going to be this moment in time where people are going to come and say, Hey, Jesus, you know, I, I got my, my, my ticket stamped. You know, I went to church and they gave me a bullet list of things that, you know, it was kind of like the, the least number of things I need to do to get into heaven. And I signed up for that and, you know, it, it was really cool. And so here we go, Jesus. And Jesus' words are, I, I don't know you. You're not, you're not in my kingdom. You never wanted to be in my kingdom. 
and I'm not your king. Folks, that's going to be a great tragedy. And here's another point in time where spirituality, wrongly understood, will lead to great misery. It'll lead to rebellion against God. See, Jesus came interested in making disciples, not these, this pseudo-religion, people who would follow him, who would know him. How, how many times, just guess, in the New Testament, how many times do you think the word Christian is used? You're not, you're not too far wrong, three. Most every time it's used, it's used as a derogatory term, though. People were kind of poking fun at Christ followers. How many times do you think the word disciples used in the New Testament? ESV translation. 269. Okay? Jesus is interested in making disciples. Not some kind of religion. Not some type of bullet point list of, of things that you do to get your ticket stamped. Jesus' desire is that we would all come to this place where we would want to learn to live in, to live for, and to live from the kingdom of God. And I want to take just the last few minutes to kind of do a, a, a compare and contrast, if you would. I, one of the things that I am, I'm hopeful and prayerful about is that you have begun to pray about, entertain the thought of stepping into um, the growth plan when we release it shortly after Easter. Because its purpose, its pathway is to help you look for ways to rearrange, reshape, reform your life to live in the kingdom of God more fully. So I hope you'll, you'll make plans or at least begin praying about that because this is what Jesus came to do to, to bring us into the, the kingdom of God. Now, you know, I mentioned those kind of three C's kind of, of Christianity that's kind of this false pseudo-Christianity. And so what I want to do in this compare and contrast is I'm just going to ask you to do some self-diagnosis as we go through them. And ask yourself, have I been deceived by any of these myself? Is that a description of me? Because if it is, what Jesus said is you need to change the way you're thinking. You need to repent. And you need to step into the kingdom of God. Life in the kingdom. So here, here's the first one. Compare and contrast. The goal, and I'm just going to call them CCs, those, those carnal consumer you know, Christians. The goal of a CC is to build my own kingdom. I'm about building my kingdom. That's what the goal of a CC is, just to, to build my kingdom. The goal of a disciple is shifting. doesn't mean you're doing it perfectly. It means you're shifting from building your kingdom to building his kingdom. You're shifting to take your kingdom assets and start applying them to build his kingdom, to see his kingdom come. And so one of the questions you've got to ask is, where does the kingdom of God kind of fit into my life these days? This. The great concern, kind of like the biggest concern of a CC is this. I want to get out of here and get up there. That's what I, I, I have an exit strategy, baby, and it's I want out of this place and I want up in that place. And that's kind of the focus of your life. Well, here's, here's what the growing concern of a disciple is. It's to participate with God in bringing what's up there down here. So just, just be honest for just a second. Are your faith thoughts these days more about getting out of this place? You're just done, you know? Or are you thoughtful? Are you thinking? Are you having dreams of partnering with God to bring some of what's up there down here, starting in your own life, in your, your household, in your family, 
in, in your church, in your neighborhood, in your city, in your, your, your nation. You know, do, are, do you find yourself in your prayer life, what are you most praying for? Do you find yourself most often and most frequently praying, Jesus, come and get me out of this mess? Or do you find yourself praying, dear Jesus, show me how you want me to step into the mess with the gospel, with you, with your beauty and your glory and your love? Which of those two prayers are you praying the most? Are you praying your kingdom come and your will be done down here as it is up there, perfectly God? This impacts your prayer life, your great concern. Third contrast, CC believers, or CC believes that Jesus, they just believe him enough for getting them into heaven when they die. A disciple is growing to trust that Jesus is right about what? Everything. This CC person, this cultural, carnal, Christian kind of person, what what they believe is just enough they think, to get them into heaven. I just just give me, uh, give me what I need to get there, Jesus. It, you know, it's kind of like pulling up to the gas station and said, I'd, I'd like 10 cents of Jesus, please. I don't want to fill up. I just, you know, just enough to get me there. For the disciple, the disciple is growing to trust everything that Jesus says is right. That everything Jesus says is right. So here's the question. Are you a Christ follower that... Trust Jesus only enough to get you into heaven, or you, or are you a Christ follower who is trusting Jesus to get heaven into you? Which which one are you? Do you trust that Jesus is really right about everything He says about His Word? Do, are you trusting that, or at least growing in that trust, so that when Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive, you're not looking at when somebody's got something that you don't have all the time, you know, coveting it. Because you think it's good for them to get that. That's okay. It's okay for them to receive that. And what I need to focus on is giving away, giving, giving a blessing to others. Are you trusting Jesus in what he says about your anger? That if you don't deal with your anger, that you are going to kill somebody. Now, you may not physically you know, pull a trigger, but what you say with your mouth destroys somebody. Because you're not dealing with the anger that's in your heart. You're not forgiving freely the way that you have been freely forgiven. And it's destroying because you're focused more on your kingdom. Last comparison that I want to give you is this. Well, let me say something about that, that last thing about, about trusting Jesus. Are, are you moving to a place that it has impacted the way you think about things, just what's called your mental map. For instance, you, none of us ever go against what we believe reality in our mental map has mapped out. For instance, how many of you believe that there's such a thing called gravity? I think most everybody in the room is convinced there's gravity, which is why when you go to the Grand Canyon and you get close to the edge, you don't flail around and kind of jump over because you're convinced to do such would end period it would just end you know you your mental map says gravity exists and it is a power a force that will pull against you if you're not careful do you have a mental map of the things that jesus said just just go to the sermon on the mount just matthew 5 6 and 7 start reading it to let it impact your mental map saying i believe this about anger 
I believe this about anxiousness. I, be, I believe this about lust. I believe this about greed. Let your mental map be, be transformed. Last comparison. A cultural, carnal, Christian, consumer Christian sporadically tries to do what Jesus did. A disciple, on the other hand, enters a life of training to live as Jesus lived. Friends, there's a huge difference between training and trying. Okay, huge difference. Um, I know it doesn't look like it these days, but many years ago, I ran a couple of marathons. Um, I have friends in the building who could vouch for that. I didn't run them well, but I finished. And there's a difference between kind of somebody who, there's kind of two kinds of what I'll call marathon runners. One kind does this. They're, they're triers. They try to run a marathon. And here's what they spend most of their time doing. They spend most of their time online shopping for the newest running shoe that has the greatest technology that has lately been released. They spend more time investigating those kinds of things than actually getting out running. But somebody who's training for a marathon has a schedule, and they have runs planned, and they actually go out and run. They're not, they're, 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 they actually get in, in their, their, their head in the game, and they eventually get to that place where they run that 26.2 miles. People who try to do what Jesus did a lot of them are still wearing WWJD bracelets. Now, there's no sin in a WWJD bracelet, but there's a problem with it. It's insufficient because you will not do what Jesus did until you start living like Jesus lived. You don't have the power to do what Jesus did. You don't have the ability when an enemy comes against you to love them instead of lashing out at them. Because nothing's been formed in your heart. You haven't gone into training with Jesus. And so the natural, fleshly, my kingdom kind of thing is, I'm protecting my kingdom. You come against me, baby, I'm going to bring it. And that's not the way of Jesus. But that's all that trying will get you. So you've got to enter a, a, a life of, of training. Because if all you do is become this person who tries, here's what your life is going to look like. Something's going to occur, circumstance is going to come. You're going to try really, really hard. You're going to think, this is what Jesus did when he was faced with this. I'm going to try really, really hard to do this, and guess what's going to happen? You're going to fail miserably. And then shame and guilt are going to come. Satan's going to come and bring a condemning message against you. And then guess what you've got to do next time? You've got to try harder. And guess what, you, what happens next? By recognizing that he is the king in the kingdom of God. And I submit my kingdom to him. I bring it to him. And so that's what I would say is the challenge of Palm Sunday. Have you made Jesus your king that way? Is he your king in the kingdom of God? Pray with me. In the kingdom of God. Pray with me. Jesus, we, we come in this moment. Many of us having at some point stepped into your kingdom. We, we, we saw you as king and we were enamored and we fell in love and we longed to make you our king and we started doing life in the kingdom of God. And then the circumstances came and the storms blew and, and we stepped out to try to build our little kingdom again because we were afraid. 
If that's you, maybe today what you need to do is bring your kingdom back to Jesus. You just need to bring it back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm gonna stand here with you now. I'm, I'm gonna take a stand with you, Jesus. I'm gonna trust more fully in you. I've, I've blown it again. Uh, just like, just like Jesus' friend, Peter. You've blown it and Jesus invites you back. Bring your kingdom back. Bring it all back. And just stand with Jesus as your king. Maybe, maybe you're one of those people who maybe you bought into that, that short circuit lie that all that Jesus was offering was a ticket to heaven. You didn't realize that Jesus was giving an invitation to something much deeper, much richer, much more. And heaven is just a part of that. And maybe today for the very first time, you're, you're coming saying, I never, I never trusted that Jesus is right about everything. I never trusted that he is the king and I need to surrender my kingdom to him. I never, I never trusted Jesus that way. Maybe for the very first time, you need to hear the gospel from Jesus' lips. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent, change the way that you think, and trust in me as your king. And you can do that today. Just, you can just pray. And then you can take a stand with Jesus as your king. And live your life in the kingdom of God.